We're going to continue looking at the book of Daniel. I have a little more prefatory remarks, and then we'll get into Daniel itself. Daniel is one of the two books that's probably most criticized in the Scriptures. Genesis being one because, obviously, God can't create the universe in seven day, six days, and so science obviously proves God wrong, and so all the things in the Scriptures are wrong, and, and I'll leave that for another day. And then they'll say, Daniel, because... Number one, Daniel has certain prophecies that most of which are for us are the past, but their, their criticism is they're so exact and so right on that there's no way a person could write that prophecy so it had to have been written several hundred of years later. And they'll say there's certain inconsistencies within the scriptures about dating, and so therefore it's wrong. Let me say a few things about that. To this point and forward, every time archaeologists or other scientists will say, well, the Bible is wrong because this people, that date, that location, that ethnic group never existed, then oops, they discover they find that they were wrong on the dates because they will see certain inscriptions. They'll find inscriptions of people they thought they didn't exist, and they'll find evidence of whole civilizations that they thought never existed. So when it comes to some of the criticisms of Daniel, my advice to you is wait until science catches up. One of those examples... I heard a couple of days ago, they were talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And I love this. I, 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 these, what's funny is I get frustrated by preachers on TV and I get frustrated by non-people talking about the Scriptures on TV. And they're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And they were right about the makeup of the, of the Ark and about the acacia wood and whatever. But this learned individual, Emma said, the Ark of the Covenant never existed because if it had existed, we would have it today. Well, my answer to that is this. My parents, before I was born, bought a 1951 Buick. And then I was born, and then uh, prior to my father dying, I don't remember going to Virginia, but after he did... My mother and I would travel in that Buick from Los Angeles, California to uh, in between Charlottesville and Richmond, Virginia. We would take Route 66 and frequently I would sleep in the back. And then when we would get through a town, because back then we didn't have the superhighways and every person who was on the uh, board, the Chamber of Commerce, you had to go by their business. So you would turn right and then left and then whatever. So my job was to navigate through the town, and then when we got through the town, I'd go back in the back and go to sleep. That was my job. But we did that for a number of years in this 1951 Buick. And then at the end of 1967, my mother bought a 1968 Chevrolet, and she got rid of that Buick. Okay? Probably that Buick doesn't exist today. Or if it does, I don't know where it is. 
but that doesn't mean it never existed. So simply because you don't know where something is today doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But that's the type of logic people will give you. So I want to kind of to re-bolster that Daniel has a number of things for us to learn today, even though it was written a few thousand years ago. But I want you to know that Daniel himself existed. So the first scripture I wanted you to take a look at is in um, Ezekiel chapter 14, 12 through 14. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Jacob. Oh, Daniel's just a figment of my imagination. So we've got to come up with it. God is telling the prophet, if these three men who were considered righteous in their times, even if they were in the midst by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves, declare the Lord God. So God mentions Daniel. Next scripture reference we find in Ezekiel 28, verse 3. And it says this, and, it, and this is God talking to the prophet, and he says, Son of man, say to the leader of Tyre, thus says the Lord God. And then verse 3 it says, Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. Now that's pretty high praise coming from God when this person thinks he's as good as Daniel. That he thinks he's he as smart as Daniel. Which means he's got to be right, right up there with Solomon. And I would suspect even wiser than Solomon because Solomon kind of fell short in a number of areas. And then the third and clincher for me as to whether Daniel existed is found in Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. And this is Jesus speaking in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountain, etc. Jesus quotes Daniel the prophet. So therefore, I'm pretty sure Daniel existed, that Daniel lived when Daniel wrote, and Daniel was the author of the book, and Daniel was the subject, among other things, and that we need to then learn what Daniel has to say, because our lives are very much like Daniel's in the sense that Daniel is living as a foreigner, an alien in a strange land. And as we've seen in the last few weeks, we who are believers are also living in a country that is not ours. So let's take a look at Daniel. We're going to start with Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Now, as we've discussed, 
Oftentimes when a victor would come and conquer, he would take the kings and other significant people and treasures and march through the city to the applause and, and adoration of the people of that kingdom and saying, our God's better than their God. We're more powerful than them. Isn't this great? And this king is doing the same thing. He is giving attribution. He's giving praise to his God for delivery of Jerusalem. When Daniel tells us, not so. It is God who gave Judah into the king's hand. Now, God sometimes does things that don't seem to be, we would think, in his best interest because you would say, well, wait a minute. They're making praises to these gods who aren't gods, saying that they're better than you. Isn't, isn't that terrible, don't you? One of the most important events in the history of humankind seemed like God was defeated. And it was on a little hill called Mount Calvary where Jesus was beaten, scourged, mocked, ridiculed, and crucified and died and buried. And you would have thought that everybody, all the other gods win. Satan won. There's a celebration. And it seems that God was defeated except for three days later. So there are times when God will allow others to think that they've gained the victory when ultimately He is victorious. So we see here in the first few two verses that it is God who is in the affairs of nations and it is God who decides who wins and who loses. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and in whom had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them, and then we'll go on. So the king says, I want the best and the brightest. But there are a whole lot of requirements. You may be a brilliant rocket scientist, but if you don't look good, if you're not a 10, you're staying. I want the best and the brightest, the beautiful people. And he's taking the choice people to go because he understands that the way to continue to rule is to take the best and the brightest and get them on your side. So he takes the best, the brightest, the beautiful, the people who everybody wants to emulate, and he's going to transform them. It's interesting, this king chooses the best and the brightest. The king of the universe chooses you and me. As Paul says, he chose those who are not many who are noble, not many who are brilliant. God chose the lesser things that he might confound those who are great. So this king chooses the best and the brightest. Our king chooses you and me. Praise the Lord. But he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, I want to start by saying, so part of the process is he takes the best and the brightest and the most beautiful, and he wants them to teach them the literature of the Chaldeans so that they'll become wise, but become wise in their culture, in their knowledge, so that they might be adapted and transformed into their culture. 
we're going to notice that Daniel and the others do not object to their learning of the other cultures and languages. He could have said, wait a minute, nope, there are terrible things that you're going to teach. I'm not going to learn it, not going to be a part. It's kind of the way we are in our society today. We send our children off to schools and they have a whole different worldview. They teach things that are counter to what we believe and what we... And unfortunately, because we don't prepare our youth and our children for those things, when they go away to college or whatever, all of a sudden their faith is tested and they don't know how to respond and then therefore they say, well, all that I must have learned is a fable and science must be accurate. Several uh, years ago, I saw this program where they were talking about macro and micro evolution. And this scientist from China was leading this conference. And he was saying that uh, macro evolution is not science and it's not provable and, and uh, et cetera. And he made the statement that as he has said that before, the people would say, you coming from China, how is it that you can criticize Darwin and evolution? And he made a statement that, that I still remember. He says, the difference between we in China and you in America is this. In China, we're not allowed to criticize the government, but we can criticize Darwin and evolution. In America, you're allowed to criticize the government, but you're not allowed to criticize Darwin and evolution. And so we need to understand that there are different worldviews, but we need to educate our children that what they're being taught may be sounding like it's science, but it's pseudoscience. It is no more science than what they claim our faith is. They will say, Go to any sign, and they will talk about how ancient the universe is and how this world had the form of this. And it's all belief. Because, quite frankly, if the universe is as billions of years ago as it was, they weren't there to see it. They only have speculation and faith. And so, Daniel and those are being taught, so he doesn't object to the teaching. Because Daniel is going to continue to keep his worldview. And that is, God is in control. And the king appointed them a daily ration from the king's choice foods and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, and at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them were the sons of Judah, were Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, now, I'm going to move it, and I've got it in the notes. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Michelle means who is like our God. And Azariah means Jehovah is my helper. All of these have been given names that profess that God has a certain ability or God is this and that that is who they are. So a part of how they're going to assimilate them into this culture is to change their names so that their names don't reflect where they came from. And notice Daniel doesn't object to his name being changed. 
And I'll tell you why I think he doesn't object. Because quite frankly, he probably doesn't care what they call him because he knows who, where his identity is. And it should not matter to us what the world calls us because our identity is this. We are children of the King. They can think we're crazy. They can think we're stupid. They can think we walk around in bribe faith. Fine. But I'm a child of the King. So Daniel doesn't object to that. Says, so he, there are these three. And then the commander of the officials assigned them new names. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now I'm not going to quickly say, basically all these names relate to their gods and the moon god and giving praise to them. And we'll talk about their names later. To me, it's unimportant. The sad thing is, is everybody remembers them by their pagan names and not their real names. So, the plan to assimilate them is to teach them to have them eat certain foods, to be treated royally, to be usurped into the culture and into the good life. But Daniel says this, verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. And I'm going to go on to what he's chosen. But notice this, Daniel resolved. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel determined that he was not going to participate in this insofar as it would defile him. Too often, and that's one of the first lessons that we need to learn from Daniel, is that we need to determine, we need to resolve, we need to make up our minds that we're going to live according to God's dictates, not the world's. That we're going to walk by faith and not by sight because that's what God has called us to do. God has called us to love our enemies. God has called us to love one another. God has called us to do these things and we are to make up our minds that that's what we're going to do. All too often when it comes to life choices, what we do is we wait till the event happens and then we decide what it is we ought to do. I give you a really... And we do that on little problems and we do that on big problems or big events. Not a problem. All too often, young men and young women start dating and they fall in love or lust. And then it's amazing how suddenly that person that they were dating and fell in love or in lust with qualifies for them to marry them. And it's no wonder there are so many unhappy marriages and statistics say how many people get divorced in our culture. How different would it be if the youth were to determine this is the type of person I want to marry? They have this ability. They have these characteristics. They have this leadership or whatever ability. And then, as you're going through the dating process, you check off the list. So, for instance, hopefully, for those of you who are believers, item number one is you're a believer. So, dating a non believer is a waste of time. And let me give you some advice marriage is not a missionary institution. 
Your job as a spouse is not to get your spouse saved. You can't do it anyway. Only God does. So we need to make up our mind how we're going to live in this culture. Will we live according to the dictates of God or will we live according to the dictates of the culture? Has the culture so assimilated us? Now, before I get just preaching on the culture, there are a whole lot of churches that we act very pharisaical. It's all about the do's and the don'ts. It's all about who you are and what you did. And if you got divorced or whatever, oh, you're a terrible person and we're never going to talk to you again. All kinds of Phariseeism that goes on within the church. That's not what we're called to be either. We're not called to assimilate into religion. We're called to be disciples. So Daniel dissolved not to defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which which he drank. Now there's again discussion of what, what does that mean? Some will say, well, by eating the king's food that, that gets him assimilated and he's just like everybody else and he gets used to the good life and whatever. Well, if that were the case, all the other things would be a defilement. I suspect what it is, it's a combination of two things. One is that they didn't eat, and I'll use the more modern version, kosher. They would eat pork and other things that were um, messed together in Jewish food preparation, you're to keep foods separated so that the, the, what may happen, or there are other items, shrimp, those types of things that would be considered non-food or unclean. So there's those aspects. There's also the other aspect that Daniel probably suspected that a lot of this food was offered as sacrifice to idols. And Daniel's saying, I'm not going to participate. One of the reasons we're here in this foreign land is because we didn't follow what God had told us to do. If I want to get back, and if I want my people to get back, then we need to follow what God prescribed. So Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself in that fashion. I will be separate and distinct here. But notice how he does it. Because most of us, when we decide to resolve ourselves, we just become obstinate and a pain in the gluteus maximus. But this is what Daniel says. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He didn't say, I'm not doing what you told me to do. He goes, I don't want to do it. Please don't make me because I I don't want to defile myself. So he comes at it not as a demanding spirit, but as one saying, you're the one who has authority. I understand that. Give me special permission. Now notice, now God granted Daniel favor. Not only is God the God of kingdoms and of kings, he's involved in the life of the individual. And he tells us that he has given Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. 
And when my grandchildren were born, one of my prayers, and even before they were born, because you're always praying that they'd be healthy and all those types of things, is that God and people would view them with favor. That, that they, and, and to a certain extent, I've always felt that I've had certain favor in the sense of sometimes I think people think of me better than I am because God has granted me favor. And so I've asked God to give them favor because you can be the best and the brightest and also be an idiot. But if God grants you favor and compassion, so, one of our prayers in living in this land where we don't belong is God, grant us favor in your sight and in the world's sight. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should you see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. He's going, wait a minute. If I do what you say, you may start looking old. I know you're probably 12, 13, 14, 15. I don't want you looking 72. And if you do, the king's going to see you, and he's going to say, you didn't treat them well, off with his head. And if you haven't seen the king, you'll know. And he gets quickly angry, and he acts very rash, irrationally, and he, I could lose my head. Notice what Daniel does. But Daniel said to the overseer, okay, I give up, you're right. No. But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Notice he didn't demand it. Again, it was permission. Please test. Let's do a test. I'm supposed to be here for three years. Surely 10 days isn't going to cause you to lose your head. Whatever happens, we can fix if what I'm telling you is not true. Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, well, let me go on. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So we listened to them and the matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the ten, end of the ten days, their ter- parents seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Now, I want to make something really clear. There are people who even re- written books on Daniel's diet. And how, and those of you who are vegetarians, you love to quote this verse. The vegetables had nothing to do with it. As a matter of fact, it said they were fat. So maybe you shouldn't eat vegetables if you want to lose weight. What had everything to do with the fact that they looked better after 10 days of eating vegetables and water was not the vegetables and water. It was God's mercy and compassion and favor on them because Daniel resolved not to participate in being defiled. 
God honored Daniel because Daniel honored God. So stop thinking about the mechanism and think about who. Oftentimes we'll talk about how prayer works and prayer works, but not prayer. God works through the mechanism of prayer. So we don't praise prayer, we praise God. We don't praise vegetables and water, we praise God. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Again, it was not the food. God gave them wisdom in every branch. They weren't just bright as astrophysicists or biologists or philosophers. They were wise in all the branches. And Daniel even had a special ability that God gave him in understanding dreams and visions. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. I want to stop there. One of the most difficult tests I've ever had to be a part of was when I took the bar exam. It was three days. But it was three days of writing. I didn't answer anybody's oral question. I wrote the answers to the, which I had prepared for, for more than three years to answer. I also was given an oral examination when I became a deacon and when I became a pastor. Everybody asked me a bunch of theological questions and questions about my faith and all those types of things. And I answered them orally. Their graduation determination, whether they passed or not, was talking to the king. Failure could result in not an F, but a loss of the head. Because he's looking for people who can counsel him. And if you can't counsel him, he doesn't need you. King talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. They were the primo, sunum cum laude and magnum cum laude graduates of this three-year institution. And they got a job working directly for the king. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding which, about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. They didn't just pass a test. They passed 
life's test of being effective in their job. And they were effective in their job better than those who were magicians and conjurers under the Chaldeans because they followed the God of God and King of Kings. And it says, And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Daniel had a very long tenure as an advisor. As a matter of fact, his tenure was so long, he was a counselor to not just this king, but other kings. It's like presidents may come and go, kings may come and go, but Daniel was there because God had him placed where God wanted him at the times God wanted him. You and I, it's not an accident that you were born when you were born and you live when you live and you will cease to when you cease to. Because God has called us to be His Daniels in this foreign land. Our names might not reflect the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but our life ought to. But there's one more verse that's not found in Daniel, and I am going to read this verse several different times throughout Daniel. Because there's a lot of times preachers and whatever will say, well, if you live for God... Everything's going to go well. And you know, it, started, and it starts usually with trying to convince us to become believers. Your life is going to be wonderful once you become, once you become a Jesus follower. You'll have all these great things, and then all of a sudden people become a Jesus follower, and they find out they lose friends, and that some of the problems are even worse, and they have other health or whatever all problems. They go, wait a minute, I thought everything was supposed to be wonderful I got sold a bill of goods. The answer is, there are times God blesses His people with success and avoidance of pain and suffering. And sometimes He doesn't. And it's not because He's mad at you or thinks Daniel's better than you. Let me read you this. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 11. This is in the Faith Hall of Fame chapter at the end, and it says this. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead from re- by resurrection. And we go, praise God, isn't that awesome? Sign me up. But it doesn't stop there. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. 
And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men whom the world was not worthy of. Wandering in the deserts, mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these having gained approval through their faith. You see, it's not the results or the consequences. God says they had faith even when the circumstances didn't come to the rescue. They were in a lion's den and some people, the mouths were shut. Others got eaten. How do I know? Because the Colosseum was filled with Christians who died there. To me, the most holy site in all of Rome are not the churches. It was the Colosseum who became holy by the blood of those who said, life is not nearly as important to me as my relationship with God. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. I don't know how your life and the circumstances, and I don't know the problems and difficulties in my life and circumstances, how they're going to end up. It may end up wonderful. It may end up not the way I want. Did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that from apart from us, they would not be made perfect or complete. So there are times when you and I may suffer, not because God is mad at us, but so that He might complete, make perfect all of us. And the two words I want you to notice is that God was doing something better. So, if you find yourself in a lion's den and God doesn't shut the mouth of the lion, it doesn't mean God didn't find that God wasn't powerful or that God somehow didn't think you measured up. He had something better for you. The Scriptures tell us over and over that we are supposed to rejoice in persecution. Because God has something better for us. So we live in a foreign land. A land that wants us to compromise and to assimilate into its culture. And the advice of Daniel is to don't. To resolve to be his follower. To resolve not to defile yourself with this culture. But do so in a loving and humble way. Not as a superior, but as a servant. Not with a, I'm better than you, but this is what my God requires. Yes, Daniel was written and lived some 2,600 years ago. But the same problems and circumstances that he had, we have. Let us 
follow his instruction. Let us understand that it is not the result that we have faith in, but that we have faith in God. And that if God doesn't send the Calvary to our rescue, it simply means he has something better. So until then, let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us determine to live a life of service for others and not ourselves. To do things as to unto God and not unto the King. To do things that sets us apart from this culture and even sets us apart from being Baptists, but makes us wholly identifiable as children of the King. And all God's people said,